Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good morning, Ben. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, enjoying enjoying things getting back to a little bit sense of normal here. Uh, we're not all the way there yet, but how about you? Yeah, doing well. Definitely enjoying things returning somewhat. Even, you know, I was recently able to travel uh, by air, which uh, was kind of a refreshing thing to be able to kind of move outside of our county for the first time in forever. So, so you're able to fire up the private jet and get out there? Exactly. So uh, that unfortunately, though, you know, I actually have to fly, com- fly commercial and, you know, just get the, the cheap fares because uh, I, I don't really have the popularity uh, of raising the support to get a private jet. Uh, we got to work on that. Yeah, I know. We need to be popular enough to get huge sponsorships, you know, from some big companies throughout the world. And uh, I, what are some big uh, jet companies that might sponsor us if we were really popular? I don't know, like Airbus, uh, Boeing, some of those companies. I mean, they may be interested. Sounds good. We, we'd really take the highest bid for that. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if any of you execs out there are listening. Um. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, in truth, obviously, as the listeners know, as we know, we are not nearly popular enough uh, to justify that kind of thing. But we are going to talk today about popularity. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you a question, Ben. Were you cool growing up? Uh, I guess cool is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Um, I was kind of in between. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. I was kind of in between. I wasn't like rejected and outcast. also wasn't um, with the – I had friendships with some of the people who were among the most popular in our school, but um, I was not like in the, the inner circle with them. So, how about you? Okay, so you had kind of popularity by proxy? Maybe a little bit, yeah. I know the way it worked with, I was popular with the mothers of a lot of girls. I just wasn't as popular with the girls, or if I was, I didn't know it. (laughs) That's funny. So, yeah, so uh, the one, you know, I'm curious if even young people use this word popular anymore, uh, cool anymore, so... Uh, to ask about cool, so maybe that the fact that I included that speaks to how I'm not was not cool, nor am cool now. Uh, I definitely was not cool growing up. Uh, at no point, I think, in my life, has anyone considered me cool. Uh, if they have, you know, I, I think I want to question their judgment <laughs> if they've ever thought that I was cool. <laughs> Even in leading the youth, I'm not the cool youth leader. So I'm the I'm the guy that randomly cites a presidential biography or, you know, some random theological concepts. So, but well, I, what's what's the word now? Like lit or I don't even know. I mean, you spend more time with yeah. teenagers than me, so yeah, I, I'm definitely not cool enough to know that so what the uh, new terms are. So yeah, so. And when people use terminology like that, I am completely aloof and uh, because I'm not cool. So, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. So, it's but good. Yes. We're talking <clears throat> about being cool and popular. Do young people care about being popular, Ben? 
I think so. I think maybe. I'm not, I'm not saying definitively, but maybe more than ever. Um, I, I saw uh, some kind of poll that was done, and I, I looked up, and this may not be the one that I had heard about, but there was one done in 2010 in the UK, and kids or teenagers preferred fame over wealth. Like it used to be, kids want to grow up and be rich or something. Well, now kids want to grow up and be famous. They want to. They wanted to be at the time. They want to be on reality TV. Now with the the rise of all the different social media platforms, you know, they want to have their own YouTube channel or be famous on you know, on something like that. But they, yes, I would say um, that they do care about that. And then we all want to be liked. Yeah. You know, if you're rich, though, can't you just buy, uh, like, pay people to make bots that like you on Instagram? I believe so. I believe so <laughs> so th that's interesting to note that. So I, I would definitely agree that they do immensely care about being popular today. Uh, I think sometimes the reason why teens can especially care about this kind of thing is because they're often finding out who they are and, and quite it's quite common for them to look for others for this approval and finding out who they are and who their identity is, who they understand themselves to be at the most base level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, I assume us distinguished adults don't really care about being popular, Ben, right? <laughs> uh, we do, but you know, we don't, I don't hear a lot of adults talking about being popular. Uh, I think it's more under the guise of being accepted or loved or, things like that okay so yeah i i absolutely think we do care I, again yeah i wouldn't say that people talk about being cool as adults or whatever the word is but uh i think in fact society by itself is often driven by an idea of social capital uh, and, and almost every facet society is driven by this so we, you know we might not have the cool kids in school but i i think that we are you know, whether you fit in, whether or not you are accepted in that kind of way and, and how you're received in that sense has driven so much of culture for many thousands of years. It has. I think it's probably morphed. I mean, I know you, high schools and that kind of thing where you had people of a certain age, young age, pooled all together for such an extended time is a relatively recent development in, in history. Um, but so I think then you have the rise of youth culture and, you know, there's some documentary I've wanted to watch it for a long time. I've just never have, but it's called merchants of cool. Uh, have you seen that? I have not. Yeah. I, I heard it recommended and it sounded interesting. It was talking about the, uh, stuff with teenagers and all that and how, uh, advertisers and folks in that industry can appeal to that. And there's that desire to be like, but anyway, I got to check it out sometimes. It's probably yeah, at the library. Sounds good. So, yeah, the uh, I you know I do imagine that ancient Egyptians really cared about how many Instagram followers they had as teenagers, though, right? How many pictures had been painted of them on some yeah. on a wall somewhere? Exactly. <laughs> and how did you like those pictures on the wall? You know, is there a place you could click like or love or <laughs> <Put> a little <laughs> notch? That's but it was. What does the Bible and past Christians' generation call this pursuit of being liked, Ben? Uh, it called it the fear of man, which, you know, in our enlightened day, maybe we should change that to the, the fear of, I don't know, humans, the fear of uh, homo sapiens or something. I don't know. Um, but it really, I mean, it's, it's not just the fear of, of 
males, um, but it is a fear of other people. That's good. So, yeah, um, and I think it's important to note that this fear of man, which I agree, that's what it's called, is not like it's not like a fear of what goes bump in the night. You know, this is not like horror stories. Uh, we're not talking about when we say fear of man. You know, uh, like fear of being, you know, that taken down by Jason or Freddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may include that for some. It's it's much more. What will they think of me? Yeah, what will they say about me? It's kind of a people pleasing, uh, mm-hmm. and but I think fear of man can be a better way of describing it than people pleasing or you know any of the terms that uh, peer pressure, any of the terms that are commonly used. I think fear of man has a lot more power to it than that. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's needing others. So, what does the Bible say then, Ben, about fear of man? It says a lot. Actually, in my the Bible software that I use, you can develop these little tags and everything. And so I've got uh, a tag for the fear of man and one for the, the biblical antidote that we'll talk about in a minute. But And I'm sure you can add to this. But just to highlight a couple of things, um, one, the Bible says it's foolish. Uh, Psalm 56 talks about this. It says, uh, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust what can flesh do to me? It's like, why are you going to be afraid? Um, Jesus also warns us against um, fearing people. He says, don't fear the one who can just kill the, the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Um, and so it's when you stop and think about it, just to be afraid of, of people who's uh, who can die and then their plans die with them. Um, is a foolish thing. It's also uh, a snare or a trap. It's dangerous. Proverbs 29, 25 talks about that. It, it seems to lead us to safety, to, to go along, to uh, adapt our behavior or whatever, to get the approval of others, but it really leads to danger for us. But when we trust the Lord and fear him, that's actually what leads to ultimate safety. Um, and those are a couple of things. I mean, what would you add to that? Yeah, so the one thing I would add, I think those are some great verses helpful on this. Uh, so I also think of when the apostles were arrested in uh, Acts mm-hmm. chapter 5, uh, they said uh, the Peter and the apostles answered at one point when kind of pressed uh, to kind of deny Christ, but we must obey God rather than men, which I think this is kind of like, yeah, we're going to obey God rather than fear men. Uh, I think there's an element of that in it. But I, I think everything you added uh, is really central, especially that Proverbs 29, 25 passage. I think that's such an important one, even for you young people to memorize, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I have those tags in my Bible software is because this is something that I have dealt with for a long time. Yeah. Um, So just trying to pay attention to when I see it because it appears all over the Bible. It sure does. Yeah. So, and it's one of those things that is fascinating because like before I even was aware and taught on this concept, I, I didn't think about it much in the Bible. I overlooked it. But now, you know, you just see it everywhere once you are aware of this problem in yourself and once you're aware of how the Bible is conscious of it constantly. Mm-hmm. So how does fear of man reveal our theology, Ben? It can show us how big God is to us or how small God is to us, um, it can reveal what we really treasure, what we trust in. And because if we fear man, we're going to um, work to 
to please man. And uh, if we need that approval from other people, we need to be liked, uh, accepted, then we're going to work to, um, it's almost a form of worship. Um, but if we really fear God, like that passage from uh, Acts that you were talking about, you know, the apostles said, well, okay, surely maybe there was a level of, well, we don't want to be beaten or imprisoned or, or killed, but ultimately we fear God more. And so, um, God is bigger in our imagination and our conscience. And so we're going to work to please him. Yeah, that's good. So, um, I, I think it definitely reveals that we have made people our effective sovereigns, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to use uh, some kind of technical terms. Yeah. I mean, people, that's why it's fear of man. I mean, it's acting as if people are gods, you know, people are, are those that are in control of our fate, our future. Uh, and in a literal sense, you know, it's like, you know, when you do think of a Jason or a Freddy, you know, you think that they control over life and death uh, in a way that only God does. But, you know, it is they control over status or happiness. Uh, I, yeah. I think fear of man also reveals that we doubt God's promises or like Eve, we doubt that God wants what's good for us, you know. So I think in, in ways, you know, when we're compromising uh, serving the Lord, when we're not speaking the truth about God to our lost friends and family members, uh, that, you know, our fear of man shows that we don't think that God's commands to us to share the good news are really what's good for us and that God's really going to work in these promises. So um, we, I think we even distort what the idea of love and fear of man. So yeah, I, I think there's a very wrong idea of love that's been driven by fear of man today, even among young people. Uh, and I think, so, you know, for example, it's not seen as love to uh, that correct, you know, some sins of our era. Even I actually saw a quote uh, from a, a popular Christian musician uh, that basically echoed as an old quote that he put in his own uh, terms saying that, you know, if we have to choose between uh, love, between love and love and truth, always choose love. And that's actually, I think he's, he has a, a theology of love that's been driven by a fear of man and an idea of you not wanting to make people uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, with, I mean, we're talking about this and there's still, uh, protest and riots going on um, across the country and in other countries as well uh, in response to racial injustice and things. And um, some of the tactics of people that, that want others to speak up about this, uh, it's there is a big pressure of the fear of man to to say the right things on the right platforms at the right time um, and. Anyway, I think that that's a part of it where there is a great deal of pressure. And I think it is important to address issues of injustice, um, but you have people making sure that they're they're doing it on social media so everybody can see I'm, I'm on the right side. I, I don't want to be accused of of not supporting the right things or being on the wrong side of history or you know things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, yeah, actually, I read an article recently uh, that was saying that. Uh, you know, if your church doesn't use one specific rhetoric, uh, which I think is a good rhetoric to use in a lot of ways, but uh, that you should leave your church and that your pastor is, you know, a, a horrible racist if he doesn't, uh, which I get that's just more, less driven by concern and more driven by a kind of fear of man popularity. Uh, but again, I think that term is a very good term to use. So, What is the biblical solution for fear of man then? Uh, it's the fear of the Lord, which again, that shows up throughout 
Old Testament and New Testament. Isaiah 51 brings up this just as an example, and it, it contrasts the two. In, in verse 12, uh, I'm reading out of the CSV. See, they, they changed it from the HCSV, so you can't call it the hardcore Southern Baptist Bible anymore, um, which is regrettable. But uh, I do like the, the CSV. And it says, I, I am the one who comforts you. This is the Lord speaking. Who are you that you should fear humans who die, or a son of man who is given up like grass? But you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Uh, you're in constant dread all day long because of the fury of the oppressor. Anyway, and then it, there's around that passage, um, it, it talks about these things. But I think it, it lays it out well uh, and contrasts the fear of man, which in that case, it really is fearing what goes bump in the night, um, who can come and harm us rather than just trusting in the Lord. Um, and they just forgotten the Lord. Well, Nehemiah 4.14 also lays this out well. And there, there's threats from the enemy. And it, he says, uh, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and, and fight for your families, essentially. Um, there's this action involved with it, but it's remember. And where Isaiah said, you have forgotten the Lord. Well, now Nehemiah is telling him, remember the Lord. Um and, and I mean, the fear of the Lord, some have called it affectionate reverence, or uh, one author said it combines this shrinking back and fear from God, like that I, I will be harmed, and a drawing close to him in awe. Like in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord on his throne, and he says, I'm undone. I'm going to die. Woe is me. And then the Lord cleanses his sin and, and brings him near, and then he's ready to respond in obedience to the Lord. Uh, and so I think that's a really powerful, and I mean, I, I, so, yeah, it's pointed out to me just the, the, the power of that. In, in, it doesn't use the terms the fear of the Lord in that passage, but it's clear that's the concept that uh, has struck Isaiah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, the I, I just add to that, you know, I I think one of the most important verses on the fear of the Lord, as we as mentioned indirectly, as fear of the Lord is beginning in knowledge, uh, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs one seven, and so like like he said, the fear of the Lord is definitively the solution in this. So. Uh, and, and it is cool how like raising our view of God actually lowers our fear of people. So, you know, and it's, so it's really in a lot of ways, it's funny because this is one of those areas of sin as there are many where, you know, the actually dealing with the, the, the issue in and of itself is not the ultimate issue as in like how we solve it is actually not by even thinking that much about people, but by thinking more of God and by elevating our view of God and our understanding of the incredible sovereignty of God. Uh, actually, I do think of another, another answer going to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73. So in Psalm 73 is one of my favorite Psalms and it kind of records uh, a man and a Sophie who is battling with kind of uh, fear of people and and people were falling into sin uh, of, of these come enemy, enemy armies, Philistines probably. And uh, they had kind of doubted God, and, and they were following after the idols of the people. And, and Asaph uh, really battles against this temptation. And uh, he goes into the temple, he basically says, uh, and he sees, uh, he sees their fate. He he's probably sees a drawing that kind of depicts some of the, these victories that God had given to his people and showing God's great sovereignty. Uh, 
and and I think it, it allows him to be able to trust in God because he remembers that God is bigger, that God is more powerful, uh, and so he gets this right fear of, of who God is, and that allows him to no longer envy the arrogant, as he says. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really great idea of the solution to fear of man, uh, fear of man. It's just for, I think we remember how great our God is. We look to how incredible and powerful our God is, and we don't you know shirk and fear of God. We don't. We don't have fear that God is going to light us in fire in any given moment that we can, uh, but we have the fear that he has the power and reverence that he has the power that he can do all things and he fulfills his promises. Yeah, that's good. Now, is it wrong to be popular, Ben? Not inherently. I mean, David was pretty popular. Jesus was. Peter, Paul, Apollos. I mean, they all had... People placed them in high regard and, and followed them, and um, but we shouldn't make it our aim. But it can really be an intoxicating presence in our life, and the temptation, the, the things that we need to do to gain and to keep it can really get us in trouble. Yeah, that's good. So uh, I would definitely say not inherently. I'd probably all actually uh, spin is not necessarily it's uh, wrong to be popular. Uh, and I, the reason why I say that is I think the gospel, as is clear in the Bible over and over, especially in First Corinthians, the gospel has been an offense uh, or a, really a stumbling block to people for millennia. Uh, and, and I think if we, you know. Of different cultures. Yeah, in different ways, too. Uh, and, and I think it still is an offense. It still is a stumbling block today. Uh, and I think we should ask at times when the world isn't really bothered by us, why isn't the world bothered by us now? In the way that, you know, that we mentioned, you know, Jesus was popular uh, at times. He also was unpopular enough to be crucified, you know, so, <laughs> right. uh, which is worth noting. Uh, and, uh, we, but we, I think, should be liked for the good acts that we do. Uh, we should not seek to intentionally be unpopular. In fact, I think we should make the only offense be the offense of the gospel. But that offense of the gospel is powerful. And I really actually even wonder, you know, that could it be said that uh, any of us are, are really popular in this world if we are very upfront about the gospel? I'm sure that we will be with some, but could we be seen as like welcomed as, you know, as the cool kid in school or the, or the, or, you know, the upstanding and that kind of way person in our workforce, the, that the standout really that everybody wants to be like that person, person in our child force, if we're standing for Jesus. Yeah, um, it's it's not going to to lead typically to especially when you bring Christ into the picture um, and you start talking about a bloody cross and, and that kind of thing. Uh, if you talk about Jesus in terms of oh you know love and peace and forgiveness, a lot of people say oh yeah that's that's great. Uh, but when you start talking about how he died a substitutionary death to take the wrath of God in your place um, and that God. God is angry with you and uh, has every right to be. That's not as, that doesn't win friends and influence people as easily. And I mean, even in the church and in Christian circles, um, if you go the path of righteousness or you push against idolatries, people can get upset with that. It is, you know, if you're being true to scripture, um, our sin just doesn't like to be, have a, a light shine shown upon it. Yeah. So I actually even think of like, in terms of that, there's wrong to be popular. 
of a there's a popular Christian singer that's also quote unquote Christian singer that's also kind of a crossover hit and is popular on secular radio right now, uh, and uh, she. Uh, famously, a couple of years ago, she was asked about homosexuality and whether or not it's sin, and mm-hmm. and she she basically wouldn't take a stance and like and she's like I I don't know the Bible well enough to give an answer on that and I don't think she's dumb I actually think she's very smart and smart enough to realize that no she's not going to be invited on Jimmy Kimmel show anymore if she says what the Bible says and, and I don't think it's an earnest attempt to glorify God by you know. Uh, but I think it's actually a fear of man that that drives this, that allows her to be popular. Uh, where if she were if she had fear of the Lord, I, I suspect you know she wouldn't be invited all the time on you know the Late Show or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. I know the situation you're talking about, and um, it, it did seem. Now I've never met this person. It does seem unless she's just never really read the Bible very much. Um, that that is an issue that is. It's quite clear, um, and so it, it did seem to be like eh, you're good at singing, maybe not so good at, at reading the Bible, or it's just you know not, I didn't realize that her popularity had risen that high. But um, yeah, especially in in our to, to be in those kind of circles in the world, you can't stand with Jesus on some of those those things that the world would consider controversial. Or no, I mean as far as I know, J.K. Rowling does not. Um, profess to be a Christian, but you know the recent controversies that she's faced for um, questioning the the orthodoxy of transgenderism, and she has gotten a lot of heat uh, from from other people who you would have thought would have been her friends. Yeah. Now we've kind of already answered it to a degree, uh, but I want to ask: Will making much of Jesus make our kids more or less popular? Typically. <laughs> Uh, typically, it's it's going to bring some reproach and some shame, uh, but Jesus told us to expect that that you know that they've hated me, and so they will hate you. You're not a, better than your master. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would definitely say typically less. And I think, yeah, we do. We reject the cultural idols. And every culture has its different idols, you know. Um, I mean, it could have been. I mean, actually, I've seen examples of, uh, we talk about slavery and our unfortunate past today. But, you know, there are actually examples of Christians that spoke out against uh, some of the sins of, of accepting slavery in the South that are, are less known, of, partly because uh that states banned the ability to write op-eds against slavery, which is a fun fact of history in the South. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, a lot of those opponents of that were not popular in any sense, were, were widely rejected. And so in the same way, when we reject our culture's idols today, uh, we're definitely going to be uh, burned by our culture. So, Yeah, I was reading in Jeremiah, I think just yesterday, I don't know, around chapter 10, 11, something like that. Mm maybe a little bit further, where Jeremiah says that he's um, you know, told them the word of the Lord, and it's not what the people want to hear. And so essentially they say, stop telling us what God says or we're going to kill you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he obviously was not preaching Christ crucified, but he was preaching what God had said. He was calling yeah. people back to the covenant to repent. And so, you know, when we come with what God says, and now most most fundamentally, uh, his last word to us is his son. Like Hebrews one tells yeah. us, um, there is going, you know, like you said a bit a few minutes ago, you know, God in the flesh shows up and people killed him. 
um, we are in our our sinfulness. Yeah. We resist the light and we resist God. Yeah. And to add that, have you ever read the uh, book How to Make Friends and Influence People? Uh, I I don't know if I've read the whole thing. I have read parts of it yeah. at least. Yeah. I actually haven't read that book yet, uh, but I'm almost positive that believing everyone is uh, is a bad sinner and will go to hell apart from Jesus is probably not one of the chapters. <laughs> it's in there. not one of the main points. No, and he was. I think that Dale Carnegie was a Mormon, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I'm not aware. He, he may have some differing views on that. Yeah. <laughs> now, how can parents help young people fight the fear of man and be okay with being unpopular? Um, I think we want to help them to see more clearly who the Lord is and to mm-hmm. fear him, um, just to show them how great and how glorious God is, and then to help them to be free to love others rather than to need others. And I'm, mm. I'm borrowing from a really good book, and I know you've benefited from it as well, but uh, by Ed Welch, When People Are Big and God is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. That has been a really helpful book for me that I've gone back to a number of times. And uh, he kind of lays out the process for identifying the fear of man in the Bible and in your own life and then moving towards, you know, seeing God more clearly as not like you have to paint this picture of a God that he's he's not really. It's a fiction. Um, It's actually seeing God for who he actually is and then also seeing – where the fear of man shows up in you and then moving to to not need others but to instead move out towards them in love because now you're not afraid of them you don't need them they're they're you see them in the proper light in the proper proportion that they are much smaller than god um and so i I think that's something we gotta help shepherd our kids in that's great so yeah i think that's an outstanding answer the only thing i would actually add to that uh is i think Sometimes it's good to recognize that you can want that popularity for them too much. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. that in my own heart. I've seen that. I've seen that in parents of teens and children, uh, where you know that desire for them to be popular. You know, maybe it was the popularity that they didn't have in, when they were growing up, or maybe it was they want the popularity that they enjoyed. Uh, and I think that be aware of when we want that too much, because that can become an we can make our kids an idol and their popularity part of that idol worship. I've I've seen this kind of in a tragic way of uh, someone that I'm connected with who I mean she was a very sweet girl um she had something with her facial structure that was I guess pronounced and a little bit unusual and uh, her mom had married this guy who did really well financially and um anyway her mom told her I mean she was you know an adult young adult and told her that she was going to have to have facial, uh, some kind of surgery, reconstructive surgery to, to change that feature. Um, and the person that I was, I know that who's closer to this other person was telling me about it and just, it was like, you know, gold digger kind of mentality. And like, you've got to, to look a certain way so that then you can get a certain kind of man. And, uh, the way God made you was not sufficient. And so, I mean, and the, the girl was like having, you know, a lot of anxiety about this, did not want to have the surgery. And um, it was really sad to, to hear about. Yeah, that's deeply unfortunate. So, mm-hmm. and definitely can be an extreme example, but I think in lesser ways, this can apply to most of our hearts. So, oh, yeah, definitely. And so, how can 
churches actually guide young people in this area of fear of of the Lord rather than fear of man? Well, we've got to teach the Bible solidly with God at the center. And we've talked about this a lot in different contexts. It's not just for the fear of man, but it really does show up here that we can't we don't just teach moral lessons or what what's the the moral of the story kind of thing. Um, here's some life points. Yes, we do want to be moved to apply the Bible and to to love and obey God and and to love others and serve them. Uh, but seeing God, at the center. God is always the primary character. And so we should be asking, what does this show us about him, what he's like, what he does? Um, and just to paint a, a glorious picture of him and not just, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine, that kind of thing. Um, I think you want to talk about it directly in age-graded settings, as well as when the whole church is gathered. Um, you know, the fear of man, like we've said, it doesn't just live in young people. It's alive and well in adults, and we seek it in various ways with the houses we buy or the cars and um, the, the kinds of things we post on social media with our, our family vacation or, or whatever it may be. Um, and encouraged and give context for being uncomfortable and having to rely on the Lord. I mean, like you alluded to it earlier about the need to share the gospel, uh, and that's one I think where even people who may think they don't deal with the fear of man, when it comes to evangelism, I think we all have a um, have that fear of what people they will reject us, or uh, we won't know the answers, yeah. or whatever it is. And so, giving some context and helping encourage that. Yeah. One thing what would you say? Yeah, I would add to this a couple things actually. So, I think we really need to enter the fear of man mentality into their vocabulary for young people. And mm-hmm. again, in ways that I mean, again, I wasn't that aware of the prevalence of this in scripture as a young as a young Christian in high school or, you know, even into college and early seminary. And I think that's a shame because I think we need to teach on this regularly because the Bible does and if we teach the Bible, it will help us to do that. But to be more conversant in this, I think, is just one very basic thing. I I think another thing, we need to really avoid the kind of win friends and influence people prosperity gospel, one might say. Uh, yeah, which I, I think it can be very real. I think if there's a prosperity gospel that, you know, that this is an ideal, that this is, is more important than uh, than the Bible wants to make it. Uh, and I think one way that this actually can be seen is sometimes, you know, churches can strive to have kind of an age-graded ministry, have the kind of the cool leader up front uh, and, make sure, and make that more important than a lot of other uh, more central things in the Bible, having, you know, making sure that there's somebody cool that they can see. Actually, I remember... Um, uh, following a youth ministry uh, thing in our area that talked about how uh, teens need to see how how cool and fun you can be as a Christian. And I think that that really, really sends the wrong message. And it's going to actually enshrine fear of man as like the most important thing. Uh, and it's part of our Christianity. I actually know even further, I think this mentality of the coolier up front has impacted even churches uh, uh, that uh, some years ago, I know of a church that really, I mean, the kind of the basis of who they hired as their senior pastor uh, was, you know, as this person is, is very popular, this person is very dynamic and, and you know, and a very attractive person. 
Uh, and I think that the, the reason why is because there has been so much of permeation that, you know, we're trying to grab hold of this fickle thing of popularity and trying to sanctify it rather than rather rather than how we should crucify it. Yeah, I've mentioned this book that I read, I think it was last year on here before with you, uh, The Juvenilization of American Christianity. And the author traced back like in the 40s and in the 50s that they had these youth rallies and these parachurch organizations rose up. And part of the goal was to show kids that like you can choose Jesus and you can also be cool. And so they would have like the equivalent of these prom queens and stuff and they would go after the, you know, the high school quarterback or the, the cheerleader captain or you know whatever it is um and i mean there's i maybe some there's strategic value in trying to to target someone who's an influencer but it was almost like well this person's cool so other people will follow them and the social capital that these people have um and it very much drove not everything they did but it was prevalent um in trying to show kids oh you can be cool and you can you know be with jesus yeah the uh yeah, and I think that is so interesting, that message. Actually, in youth ministry can be so common, and that's kind of where I, I really thought of wanting to do this because, like, that mentality, you know, you, you can have that following Jesus is so much fun, and you need to do that because it's going to be so much fun, and you can be cool, and you can be aw- such an awesome person like your favorite, you know, quarterback uh, and follow <laughs> Jesus. I mean, how does that relate to the me- – I mean, Jesus, he – he suggested to people if they're not willing to lose their family, if they're not willing to carry a cross, don't that a cross that you know that you die on, don't even bother following me. Don't worry about it. Uh, and yeah, again, we have these rallies like that in youth ministry. Oh, I, yeah, I know it's disturbing. And I mean, and the reason I brought that point up to show like this has been going on for generations and. Um, I mean, I guess we're closing in on the better part of a, a century of that. Um, and so it has just deeply permeated what we do. And I mean, you look at some of the more influential youth ministry movers and shakers out there, and there is definitely uh, an emphasis on being cool. And it looks like a concert at, you know, I don't know, Justin Bieber, or whoever's cool um, these days, and less and I mean, I, I don't know that you should necessarily like go say, well, we're just going to try to find the, the the most not cool person. But I did. It was refreshing to see because passion, um, you know, people may have various uh, opinions of it, but like the passion, confidence and movement stuff, you know, they are cool. Um, they have big music shows and all this stuff. And then they have somebody like a John Piper out there in his, you know, pleated khakis. And, um, you know, he's, I guess Piper's probably in his seventies now, but like they would bring people out there like that. Um, I guess it was refreshing that everybody wasn't out there in, you know, tight pants and with rips in them and tattoos all over them and stuff. Um, cause John Piper is definitely not cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, uh, the, he's cool in some circles. Some people think he's very cool, but uh. well, yes, I, I do. I have gained a lot from him. Um, actually, I, I watched a panel thing from the T4G they did on online from the pandemic, and he was talking about you know maybe why he saw success in ministry. And he started trying to joke and be sarcastic about. It. He's like, yeah, it must have been because I I did my hair a certain way and I dressed a certain way and. Um, and then the, the, the host started laughing as, oh, it's so awkward when you try to be sarcastic, John. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, 
<clears throat> well, and there's a, um, I think about in this too, this topic, one of my favorite old hymns actually, Jesus on my cross have taken, uh, and how that contrasts with, the mentality, with this idea of fear of man and popularity. Uh, the, the hymn writer says, let the world despise and leave me. They have left my savior to human hearts and looks deceive me, uh, that thou art not like them untrue. Uh, oh, that while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. And I think mm-hmm. that is the message of Jesus. And, and that definitely is not the message of winning friends and influencing people. Uh, and, yeah. and and that's, I think, the surpassing goodness of Jesus is what compels us to this. And that's what we must teach our young people. So mm-hmm. Now, how can churches respond when the pursuit of cool becomes too important with the when the kids and teens are together which i i've definitely seen this happen do you mean from the standpoint of like you you notice it among the kids or you notice it that from those in charge that that they're emphasizing that too much uh the former was what i was thinking of but i think either is a good thing to talk about Hmm. I think you want to start. I mean, you may just need to teach on it directly, having personal conversations um, and helping them to evaluate what they assume. And because, uh, you know, you think when you stop and t- remove yourself from the emotional involvement of it um, and you go, wait a minute, what is coolness? Like, it's not this definitive thing. Like I said at the beginning, you asked me if I was cool when I was younger. Um, it's in the eye of the beholder. And like you've got these people who will assign coolness to you or to somebody else, and they can also uh, take it away. And so helping them just kind of you know, using some of the, the, the current terms, deconstruct some of their assumptions about that um, and, and to challenge that. And um, yeah, that's – I wasn't quite sure what, what – um, yeah. What's your thing there? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? And on maybe that? this is more related to youth ministry, but I actually remember before I was a Christian, I visited one youth group uh, of a large kind of secret church. And I remember um, the, uh, you know, there was a group, uh, I was just kind of trying to be a fly in the wall. And I saw, I witnessed somebody I knew of was really getting mocked. And this person ended up just kind of dropping away from things. And it was less popular being mocked. A group of guys that, you know, were in, in the popular garb of the day back when we were growing up, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch and all that stuff. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just kind of the almost uh, prototypical of like a college movie <laughs> you know and uh, and then like and which is well, that is what it is but then I actually saw like five minutes later I was in shock because I saw this this group of people that were you know that were standing out in this kind of way and were and were kind of like actually elevating themselves by lowering other people actually mm-hmm. stepped up on stage as the youth worship band and uh, <laughs> you know and were celebrated mm-hmm. by the youth leaders because you know they were cool and uh and I think that this can happen in ministries, and I think children and youth ministries, where this same kind of like awful social hierarchy, uh, based upon popularity rather than based upon making much of Jesus, uh, that uh, can permeate our ministries. And I think that youth leaders, especially and children's ministry leaders, need to call this kind of thing as we see it uh, within reason. And, you know, we need to fight against this kind of thing rather than leaning in, in the way that your example earlier kind of talked about, 
Um, I, I think we need to make sure in all of our ministries, we elevate those who are making much of Jesus, not elevate people based upon other categories at all. So, um, and I think to add to that, we should expose young people to leaders with different personalities and, and different quirks and celebrate those people that, you know, might not be the prototypical youth or children's ministry leader. Yeah. Cause it can, like, I remember seeing this, um, and again, none of us can, I mean, Paul had people who were converted or so he thought, and then they abandoned him. Um, but I remember 10 ish years ago, or more Aaron Rodgers and the Packers won the Super Bowl, and I this was at seminary. Um, and it was just because it was a Lifeway, but they had some little pamphlet up by the um, the cash register that was talking about you know football players or famous people that were Christians, and he was on the cover of it. And I've heard <laughs> that since then he has um, questioned you know his evangelical upbringing or something. And uh, yeah. I mean, he's kind of had a history of. I don't know, not being the, the easiest guy to get along with and stuff like that. And so I remember even at the time, thinking, hmm, okay, well, I guess he's a Christian. Maybe you try to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, I mean, there are others too. Um, but, you know, we as a culture, we don't want to look stupid. We don't want to be on like the losing side. And so we elevate these people who are famous, uh, who are attractive, whatever. And it, even with our political leaders, we want to point at this one or that one. And that's we shouldn't bring that into the church with you know just the people that are in front of us and go oh you know look so and so is pretty or so and so is you know the quarterback or whatever it is like i think you're you're absolutely right yeah so well how can we help those with lots of friends be more concerned with staying faithful than keeping friends I think we want to help them evaluate their friendships and um you know ask them why are you friends with this person and that person, um, kind of what are your motives? Like, do you, do you have these friends for you or do you have your, these friends for their sake, uh, and help them to, to love their friends that God has given them an influence with, um, to, to, to reach out and serve them for their benefit rather than needing all those friends and having to, to maintain those friendships and the affirmation those people bring, uh, to kind of maintain a reputation and to feel validated. Uh, that you're, you're transforming the, the, where they're looking rather than navel gazing. Um, they're looking to to benefit others. I would add to that. I think, frankly, show them the potential cost of following Jesus, but also the great reward. I, and I, I do think with young people, we need to be clear. Like, I, I, it's funny. Like, I've talked with evangelism with young people often, and uh, and I think that there is an awareness. Like, oh, and we might lose them, our friends, but like, what if that happens? And I think we should talk about that because that actually could happen. Uh, people could that people that you know we value as our friends could disown us. Uh, but also to show them, you know, the great reward of being faithful to King Jesus and how, how God works even when, you know, we are friends disown me and uh, foes hate us. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. lastly, show them the fickleness of popularity and uh, that the kind of love that we show for other people in evangelism and faithfulness to our God. Yeah, those are good points. Popularity is fickle, so... Uh, just like with J.K. Rowling, we talked about earlier, she was loved by so many. Now people want to kill her. Oh, and, exactly. I mean, and this is you know the world has they turned on their their own. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, anyway, uh, although I'll admit I've never been, I've never read uh, 
Rowling books, so I don't know that she's been popular in my household. Not for any. I mean, she, I never was a Harry Potter guy, not because I thought it was all wicked or something. I just wasn't really interested in reading it. But um, it, it, wow, that situation is just something else. I guess we weren't popular, or cool enough to read Harry Potter growing up, though. <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, so. I want listeners to trust that you guys are all cool to us. Not that it matters at all. Uh, and this has been a quite a good discussion on popularity and the the greater issue of fear of man. Yes, thanks for bringing it up. I think it's really, really relevant for young people, but also for adults to consider in their own hearts. Yeah, and then definitely something relevant for my life as I fall into this area so often. Me as well. Anyway. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.